This is Paul. Paul, you've been to comic conventions. Yes. I know this because, you know, I, I think that uh, you and I talk about it quite a bit. You are not a stranger to the comic book convention. But, you know, what I'm betting is, is that you are a stranger to armed guards coming in or armed uh, law officers coming in and shutting that shit down. What? Because, yeah, yeah. In Libya, uh, Tripoli to be precise, uh, Comic-Con had their second convention there, and an armed group of Libyans uh, shut down the comic book convention in the capital, Tripoli, because it breached the country's morals and modesty. Huh. In fact, um, I think more than uh, 60 people were arrested. Uh, most of them later released, but the convention coordinators were beaten before it was released. Oh, and, uh, you know, I, I, I got to say, knowing, uh, you know, uh, comic book fans, as I do, we don't take beatings well. <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, um, I, I, I was I was stunned to see that first stunned to see that uh, that they were having, you know, comic book conventions complete with cosplay in Libya. Uh, but then startled to see that, you know, it was the second one and that, uh, you know, uh, armed officers came in and you know, shut that shit down. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. So, you know, maybe, maybe next year's convention will be underground. Yeah. You know, it'll be a secret convention. Secret Comic Con. But, you know, I got to say, you know, we, we live in geek culture, neck deep in geek culture now. Uh, I don't think you, I don't think that, uh, that you can suppress it. I think it's a movement, Paul. I think that, uh, that there will be an underground convention, you know, uh, and it will become subversive. You know, I, I think that you know more so than comics already are. It's it'll it'll be subversive. I think you know that could that could be a movement for a next generation of uh, Libyans to uh, you know perhaps broaden their perspective. Mm -hmm. Sounds about so, right. I, I, oh. it, you know, it, it, that, it, comics have always been kind of well. Comics used to be kind of this underground culture to begin with, right? So. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. In fact, you know, <laughs> you know, we don't think about it today, but you know, comics used to be the shameful thing that you did to, to make a buck, you know, yeah. uh, before you got a real job, right? I mean, uh, Jack Kirby wanted to get in, wanted to have have you know a comic strip, meaning like a Sunday funny we, uh, weekly newspaper sort of comic strip. That was where the real money was, and that's where the real prestige was. Uh, and then just got sidelined into this comics thing. Kind of like this podcast. Exactly. We exactly. wanted to talk about literature, fine <laughs> literature. This is going to be masterpiece theater with Aaron and Polly, with Sir literature. Aaron and Polly. <laughs> literature with Aaron and Polly. Yes. Instead, we're still on this funny books kick. So, Paul, did you read the Iliad this week? <laughs> I did. <laughs> did you hear it had a sequel? Um, really? Yeah, it's, it's the coming out soon. Two electric <laughs> <laughs> and now we've lost everybody. That's but it's right. funny to us. Um, That's right. <laughs> you, you know, before we go into this week's uh, conversation proper, did you see that on T Fury? Um, they have. I, I don't know if T Fury has now been acquired or if they have made a deal. But T Fury um, is now officially licensed Marvel Apparel. Oh, really? Yeah, no, I had not seen that. It is, speaking of shutting that shit down, Marvel's like, um, can you stop making profit off of our characters? Um, 
Yeah, so now they have officially licensed Marvel Apparel. They have a pretty sweet-looking Captain America and Daredevil. Well, two shirts, right? They do two shirts every day. Um, right. The Daredevil shirt is uh, Joe Casada art today. We're recording on Sunday, November 5th, by yeah, the way. Yes. Um, yeah. And uh, they have a Captain America shirt uh, that's also pretty sweet-looking. It's Cinco de Novembre. Cinco de Novembre. Um, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> uh, but, um, th- of course... With that official marketing, uh, it comes an increase in price because now the shirts are fourteen dollars. Well, yeah, you got to pay that licensing fee. Yep. Yeah. 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 Because you know Marvel, they like their taste. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah. doesn't everybody? Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll check check that out. I, I, you know, I don't typically do T Fury anymore. I, <laughs> you know, I was doing the big. Uh, seasonal switch over in my wardrobe this week, you know, because I, I, all, all of my uh, all of my winter clothes are you know packed away, uh, and so I was I was pulling out my, my fall and winter clothes and then packing away my summer clothes, and so I only keep out you know a small portion of my, my t-shirts for the winter months and you know pack the the bulk of them away until next spring and summer. So I was doing this, and Suzanne, my wife, is is just horrified. As I, you know, stack up all of the different T-shirts I own. Oh my god! I mean, I, can I mean, it is insane. And she's like, "Oh my god!" She says, "Are you done yet?" I'm like, "Yeah, I got another shelf I need to empty out." <laughs> <laughs> I have so many T-shirts. I, I I'm going to go through the great binge. Um, you know, probably this coming week, just really go through the T-shirts and and really only keep the ones I want to keep, which is hard. It's it's hard because a lot of these T-shirts have some type of sentimental value. I don't right. You yeah, know, I mean, here's the thing: the T Fury shirts, yeah, those those I do cycle out periodically, but yeah, well, because the they're they're so cheaply made. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? But yeah. you know, a lot of T-shirts I buy from events that I've attended, like a Halloween horror nights or a trip that right. I've been on, or or cool restaurants or breweries. So getting rid of those is a little harder. Um, but I'll, I'll see what I can do. Well, you know, they have companies that will make like a quilt out of your old graphic tees. Right. Yeah, I've seen that. And so, you know, I, I had picked out some more than a year ago and I've got them sitting on a box waiting to go do that. We just haven't done it. And so <laughs> Suzanne's year. like, yeah, exactly. I mean, I just like, nah, I haven't done that. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, I cleared out some shelf space. I filled up the shelf space, you know, <laughs> but, uh, um, Suzanne was like, you know, um, do you need to reassess that? And I said, no, I don't need to reassess that. I think what I need is an additional quilt. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to need multiple quilts. And, and you're going to need a shelf for your quilts. For my quilts. Yeah. Yeah. yeah a couple of shelves, Paul. <laughs> a couple of shelves. <laughs> but, you know, I, it's a, I think about my grandfather who grew up during the Depression. And his, his thing at Christmas was – you know, uh, always give, get me a white collared shirt, you know, because his thing was, is you always had to have a white collared shirt to go interview for a job in. Right. Yeah. And, you know, during the depression, he didn't have enough money. And so my grandfather literally could not own enough white dress shirts. And I feel like I'm the same way because growing up, we didn't have all of these, these options to, you know, have the, the nifty nerdy wear. Right. And so I feel like I've got to buy everything because I didn't have it when I was a kid. It's my own depression, Paul. Mm. <laughs> I feel like it's not comparable, but uh... no, no, it is. It is. It is exactly the same. It okay. is. It is. It is a one-to-one relationship, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> Aaron's great depression. 
Uh-huh, that's right. That's right. I had a Star Wars shirt, and all it had was the title on the shirt. It didn't have a character on it. didn't have some kind of you know cool Darth Vader holding up the lightsaber. In fact, you couldn't find a villain shirt back in those days. Oof. You know, and if I'm nothing, Paul, I'm a villain. I, well, yes, I think we're, we're, we're <laughs> certainly aware of that. Yeah. So, uh, Paul. Yes, sir. Thor Ragnarok opened up this week. Which is, I mean, I, I feel like we, we've been kind of teasing everyone because uh, everyone's like, can you just get to the, to the, the Thor talk? <laughs> so it is poised to make somewhere between 112 to $124 million this weekend, uh, putting it in uh the the top range not the not the top range but in the range in the range of of the most successful opening weekends for marvel um it, it is it is will certainly be one of the top eight movies of uh 2017 okay it, it is uh it is getting you know rave reviews online uh it did something, I want to say, $45, $47 million on its opening day. Um, it's having a, it's having a really nice opener. It's having a really nice opener. But <clears throat> I did not care for this movie. So, yeah, Aaron told me yesterday uh, that he did not <laughs> care for this movie. And I, uh-huh. I'm, I'm very curious as to why. Well, and I, let me throw a caveat out there. Um, I was not feeling well when I went to go see it. And that and that may have played a role in this. And I am I am willing to give it another try and I'll watch it again. Uh, But it it seemed to be going out of its way to be funny, a la Guardians of the Galaxy. Yes. Um, But I think that it lacked. I think I think one of the things that Guardians of the Galaxy does really well is that it is a funny. There are funny moments in the movie, but the movie has heart. Right. Yeah. There are stakes. You care about you care about the characters. You care about their personal turmoil. And I felt like all Thor was was funny. I did not feel that there that there were uh, that there were heart wrenching, touching moments as both Guardians movies had, Um, despite the fact that Hela, the the uh, goddess of death, the big bad in the movie played by Kate Blanchett murders the Warriors three, Hogan, Fandral, and uh, uh, Volstagg Mm -hmm. in the first 20 minutes of the movie. Um, And you are, I mean, there is no emotional beat to that at all, and it never lands. At no point in the movie does Thor find out about it, acknowledge it, mourn it. I mean, there, there is his, spoilers, Asgard is, is destroyed and his entire people's displaced. And there is really no emotional resonance for it. I mean, it never that beat never lands. Everything is just fun in the movie. And that bothered me a lot. It did it, it, this. I think that there are moments in the film that are just gorgeous. I thought the, the opening scene with uh, Thor and Surtur and, and Thor's personal monologue was extremely well done. There are some brilliant fight scenes in the movie. But the humor didn't land with me, and I just don't feel like there was an emotional heart to the film. So here's the thing: I thought I I loved Thor Ragnarok. However, 
with the caveat that I do agree with most of everything you just said, actually. Um, I feel, yeah, and, except the part that you didn't like it. Except the part that I didn't like it, because I enjoyed the film. I enjoyed most of the humor. Not every, just like a, every comedy, just like Guardians of the Galaxy, not every joke lands, right? Right. Um, and, and I will say they, they certainly didn't land. They landed, for me, they landed more than they didn't. On the humor mm-hmm. aspect, I enjoyed quite a bit of the humor. I will say they did humor at the expense of um, yes. emotion, though. of drama. Yeah, at the expense yeah, of they drama. Certainly, yeah, they they absolutely did. So, and there, when, like I said, there there are moments where I mean, like I got what they were going for. It just that there is an ease to the humor in Guardians mm-hmm. of the Galaxy, and it seems to flow organically. Yeah. It did not seem that way in Thor Ragnarok. I would, I, I would, I would agree. I would say, uh, I, I would say most of it. Um, some of it flows, some of it doesn't. Some of it feels very forced. I enjoyed quite a bit of the humor with Hulk. Um, you know, I, I thought Crimson Hemsworth did a solid job with the humor, which is an aspect of his role that's not really been present before. Um, I enjoyed the hell out of Jeff Goldblum every time that guy was on the screen. I thought he was fantastic. Um, I, I wanted to hop back a couple minutes to something you said. Uh, mm-hmm. in, in reference to the Warriors Three, when they died so nonchalantly, and it uh-huh. was never uh, acknowledged as this this emotional aspect to the film, um, yeah. I was like, well, it's Ragnarok, right? Like everyone's going to die, and then they're going to be reborn, and that's how the film's going to end. And mm-hmm. you know, cause, so like it didn't hit me. I was like, when like that when they didn't make a big deal of it, neither did I. I'm like, yeah, they'll be reborn. But then the movie ends, uh-huh. and I'm like, oh. Oh, they're yeah. still dead. Oh, oh, yeah. he still and doesn't have hell- a hammer. Oh, like well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it ends basically. It, it turns into battle, battle Thor Galactica. Um, it just, spoilers. I mean, we already warned you. Um, so Ragnar, <laughs> or, uh, you know, um, Asgard is destroyed, and Thor and the remaining Asgardians are on basically Battlestar Galactica on their way to Earth. I mean, that that is exactly how the film ends. I, I'm not, you know, uh, making that up. I mean, the ship rag- even kind of rag- looks like Galactica. A ragtag fugitive fleet. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> when the movie ends, I'm like, that ship looks an awful lot like Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I mean, this the, the story of the film is just picking up nuggets of other successful Marvel stories within the comics, right? Yeah. So, you know, you got the planet Hulk, which is, you know, clear and big there. But this is very Beta Ray Bill. Yeah. You know, this is very this is very, you know, taking a slice of the Beta Ray Bill origin because, you know, Beta Ray Bill was leading his people to, you know, the promised land. And, you know, it's it's kind of a Moses story. And that's kind of what you're which what, what you get elements of uh, this setting up. Now, I don't think they're I don't think they're going to lean into that much. But, uh, you know, in subsequent films, but it does seem like they're 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 leaning towards the J. Michael Straczynski Asgard on Earth sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and I'm like, please go to Oklahoma. <laughs> and, you know, I'm totally fine with it. I I, I am, and I, I, I'm giving the film a hard time about the ending, but the ending didn't rub me the wrong way completely. Other than the fact that there's still so much unresolved. Like, are if the Warriors three are genuinely dead and we never see that acknowledged again, I'm gonna feel pretty bummed about that because those are pretty yeah. significant characters. Thor well, doesn't have like his hammer, them. and that, I gotta feel like, quite frankly, no. This is kind of like reading Secret Empire and knowing there's a cosmic cube in play. And, uh, right. you know, like, it, it, this, that's how Thor Ragnarok felt to me. Like, I right. know there's an Infinity Gauntlet in play next year. And, you know, there's well, a reality and, and, gem that's going to reboot a lot of this. Well, and you know that there's a there's a uh, Cosmic Cube in play because, you know, we see Loki walk by it, you yeah. know, uh, in Asgard. 
raises an eyebrow and then cut away. So you know that that's in his back pocket somewhere. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, absolutely. There, there, there are there are ways to easily unravel this. But where was Sif, Paul? Sif was unavailable. She was asked to be in the film, but Sif was filming Blind Spot. <laughs> yeah, but but I mean, character never mentioned. Nope, never mentioned. They did never mention mentioned. Jane though. Yeah, she broke up with with Thor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dumped him. <laughs> Why was that? Did Natalie Portman not want to come back and, and do this? Yeah. Huh. yeah. Natalie Portman has not spoken fondly of her experiences um, on these films. So they, they just uh, said, screw you. Wow. Yeah. Don't speak wow. ill what, of the Marvel. What, what has she not enjoyed about doing the movies? Do you know? I think she just I think she looks down on these on these types of films huh. is how I feel. Um, she's presented it. Boy, that's crazy. Yeah, that's crazy. If she was reading the comic, she'd see that there's an opportunity that she could be Thor. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they'd have to stretch her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she is we. And speaking of we, um, I had problems with some of the casting in this film. OK, um, I I did not care for the casting of Valkyrie. Um, you know, she, she the Valkyrie looked more like a a uh, lady wrestler uh, than she did, you know, a Valkyrie. And I, I, I don't have a problem that, that she was, uh, that she was an eth- ethnically diverse casting choice. I don't have a problem with that at all. Cause I love Idris Elba as Heimdall. Um, what I object to was she just, she was just rather short, <laughs> you know, it was like we were, we were casting puck, you know, I, uh, I, I just, I, I wanted to see somebody who was a little bit more, um, you know, athletic, more Wonder Woman-y, you know, yeah. in that in that role. Um, I also, when she, you know, she she changes costumes when when uh, they're going to do the big heroic, you know, escape thing, right? And I couldn't stand because we assume that that's like her Asgardian Valkyrie outfit. Yeah, and it was it was ugly as all get out. It, it was. wasn't anything near as cool as what we see in the flashback of all the Valkyries fighting Hela. Um, and speaking of Hela, I love Kate Blanchett. Yeah. Throughout the movie, every time she was on screen, I kept wanting her to be Eva Green. Yes, I agree. I mean, I, thought, I mean, it seemed like she was doing a spectacular Eva Green impersonation, in my opinion. I would agree with like, that, actually. And I, and I was like, God, Eva Green would have been a much better choice in this role. <laughs> you know? Uh, I, I did. I had problems with both of both of those casting choices. I, I, yeah, I would agree. Um, you know, I, I I thought Valkyrie was fine. Uh, she 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 wasn't. She, I didn't come away wanting like a Valkyrie movie. Yeah. Or anything like that. I thought her character was interesting. I, I do think she was. You know, I mean, she. I guess she, what she made up for in height, she had an attitude. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Um, so well, and if if you're going to I, what I would have liked, and I'm I'm sure that this is probably a wrong thing to say, but you know if you're gonna if you're going to cast a atypical body type for that role, that's great. Make it part of the character. You know, talk about oh yeah, you were the short Valkyrie. You know, uh, and and you know short Valkyrie, but the heart of a giant. You know that kind of thing. But it was just matter of fact, and I'm sure that that. You know, she she wasn't uh, uh, she she wasn't so so short that she you know uh, you know qualifies for for special parking, but she mm-hmm. she is short when you put her in the context of every other Asgardian we've seen. Yeah. It would have been nice had we talked about that. That's you right. know, ra- 
you know, I just and speaking of Asgardians, I'm not so sh- I mean, I think maybe I understand why, why Thor wasn't broken up, because it seems to me, with the exception of the Asgardians who died, you know, uh, Hogan, Fandral, Volstagg, uh, that the Asgardians as a people are really sort of a worthless pile of shit because all of these gods <laughs> are rather mewling, weak, nothing sort of people. I mean, they're just sheep. And I, I, the whole time, like, you know, y'all are a race of Viking gods. Y'all are a race of, of, of heroes and, and, and fighters. And every single one of you should be able to lift a spear or, you know, uh, swing an axe. No. <laughs> no. No, good point. You know, I think um, the Asgardians, as they are portrayed in the movies, uh, you know, I don't I, – I, well, first of all, right, they're not technically gods. They say, you know, they, they keep going back, at least the way it originally established, they were just kind of an alien race. Um, right. You know, they, they do, you know, he is the god of thunder, and then there's the god of goddess of death. So, I don't know, they, they seem to be kind of stuck on the mythology there. Well, there is not a character in the TV show The Vikings uh, that could not have kicked any one of their asses. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> because I'm just like, come on. I mean, even if I get that, you know, Thor, Fandral, uh, uh, Volstagg, Hogan are all exceptions, right? They are, they are heroic amongst this race of, of supernatural beings. But they should, I mean, if they're, if they're built on Viking culture, they should should all be able to fight somewhat as opposed to just, you know, cowering in the shadows. And that's just a lot of what they did. I would have liked to have seen, you know, more than just the guys who are murdered by Hela, I would have liked to have seen the common people stand up. Yeah. No, I, I, I hear you. It, it didn't occur to me in the moment, but uh, I, I hear you. It makes sense. I, I you know, I, I certainly didn't have the number of issues with it that you did. Like, mm-hmm. like I said, there were definitely, I, I loved every part of Hulk in this movie. And I was really worried that they were basically turning Hulk into Drax. Now they did, but um, it was, he was still fun to see on screen. Right. Um, I, I still enjoyed, uh, you know, the, the, the progression that that character has made. I do find it going back to my point earlier about, or our point earlier about the lack of heart in the film. I did find it interesting that, um, that the film ends with Banner in in his Hulk persona. And, you know, he expresses at one point in the film concern that next time he becomes Hulk, he's not sure Banner will, will ever come back out. And Thor really doesn't give a shit, right? <laughs> um, he brings him knowing full well that he will turn into Hulk at some point and help win the battle. Turn the time Yeah, Thor's kind of despicable in that regard. Yeah, like he, he yeah. genuinely didn't care in that moment. Yeah. And then, you know, you see Bruce Banner willingly turn into the Hulk. Um and 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 stay as the Hulk at the end of the film, and so you know he it, it does. Are we ever going to see that acknowledged? I, I feel like there's a lot of stuff that was left unacknowledged, right? Yeah. Yeah. Thor not having his hammer in the you know in the film, it's destroyed by Hela. You know, Anthony Hopkins as um, Odin does say at some point, "You're not the god of hammers." You're the god of thunder. <laughs> that that was a good line. That was a good line. That was a good line. Um, but we never see the hammer returned at the end of the film. And I feel bad that Tim's not here to join us today because I feel like Tim probably hated everything about this film. Um, <laughs> you know, that hammer is not returned at the end of the film, nor is Thor's eye. Thor loses an eye in this film. Um, well, and, you know, you know and, and maybe this is something that they're dangling for, you know, the next episode. Right. Yeah. But, um, you know, if you're if. if if the MCU follows the course of of the Marvel comics, Thor inherits the Odin power, right? Which means he can recraft the hammer. Yeah. 
um, you know, that he'll have those abilities and, 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 but you're right. I mean, so much because of the episodic nature of these films, but even so this one more so than others, lots of stuff is left dangling. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, I, I, I felt concerned about that. Right. And primarily because of the character deaths. And I understand that this is a movie and if the Warriors three are dead, then they're dead. Like that's just Mm -hmm. how the movies work. You know, they don't necessarily need to come back like in the comics. Um, But thinking about it, ultimately I think all Marvel movies that have been released recently are ending on some form of cliffhanger, right? Civil war uh, ended certainly on a cliffhanger. Captain America and his, his rogue Avengers are still fugitives from the law um, at the end of civil war. Um, Spider-Man didn't necessarily end on a cliffhanger, but that, you know, loosely tied into the Marvel universe anyway. Well, but, but even so, I mean, even though civil war had that cliffhanger ending, like, you know, Hey, call us if you need us, but you know, we'll be out here in the world as, you know, the rogue Avengers, there was still, they resolved the major story beats in that. And then, you know, had, because you're, you're telling these these MCU films in episodic nature and it's a continuity. Yeah. You're going to have threads that carry over from film to film. And I do think that that's something that Thor Ragnarok did very well. Uh, they, you know, there was a lot of, Oh my God, you've been missing for two years. We all thought you were dead, you know? Uh, so apparently he piloted, uh, uh, the Hulk piloted that, uh, uh, Quinjet into the devil's anus and, uh, (laughs) Which, I mean, I get that they were trying to make a funny name for, for the spatial anomaly that, that was dumping uh, things onto Sakaar. I didn't, I didn't think that was funny. It was memorable, <laughs> but not funny. <laughs> yeah, they, they yeah. just, I, you know, some, some humor totally flowed. Some was just trying too hard. You know, apparently the film, uh, the, the director, Taiki Wahidi or something like that, um, you know, he, 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 he really tried to push the film to be an hour and 40 minutes. He watched it and he's like, eh, it's not funny enough. So they injected, you know, an additional 30 minutes into the film. Um, and I'm like, okay. And he says, now, now it's appropriate. Uh, it's funny enough. And I'm like, it's a Thor movie, first of all. Right. Like, I don't know. Like, I don't know that I'd ever watch a Thor movie and be like, ah, you know what? That really needs a lot more comedy. But, I mean, they felt that way. Maybe it just didn't land with audiences or with themselves. And the humor, there is no easier way to connect with characters than with humor. We've talked about that before in regards to things like The Force Awakens and those characters. Mm -hmm. uh, Connecting with those characters versus connecting to the characters in Rogue One. Well, and Chris Hemsworth is just charming as fuck, right? I mean, he's just a charming, charming guy. So, yeah, give him some humor to play with so that you you can connect with that character. Um, I just don't feel like you needed. I think if you're gonna if you're gonna go funny, you also got to have heart, and it just didn't. I, and, and you know, if, if you know, with all of the bold changes that happen in this film, according to Chris Hemsworth, we have Kevin Smith to thank for that. Yeah, you know, well, uh, and and in conjunction with Chris Hemsworth, right? Because Chris Hemsworth right. was already having struggling with the role of Thor. He he right. felt he was feeling bored, which. I can see. I mean, he's played the role at least in four movies, you know, the two Thors, the two Avengers, and he's probably made uh, appearances in others. I can't really think of any others that he's appeared in um, off the top of my head. Uh, but, you know, he, he, he has played this role and he, he was getting bored with it. He, he felt like it was a stale role. There was no character progression. He was just playing the same character in each film. And, right. you know, um, and apparently Kevin Smith said something similar uh, on either a podcast or something. It was 
Yeah, I think it was one of one of Kevin Smith's podcasts where he he had talked about you know making some bold changes uh, in in the Thor character and and Chris Hemsworth heard that and you know, according to to something that I had read uh, Friday or so um, and you know it 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 gave him the the little push that he needed to say you know Kevin Kevin Smith is right. I think is what he said. And, uh, you know, it pushed him to, you know, get really involved in uh, sort of the character development of Thor for this film uh, to make those big, bold changes. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the loss of the hammer and the haircut, those were Chris Hemsworth ideas. So, you know, I, I here's the thing. I'm not Tim. So I didn't have a problem with him losing the hammer. I didn't have a problem with his haircut. Uh, quite frankly, I think the character looks better with short hair in the movie. I think, uh, you know, versus the hair extensions. That's just me. I know a lot of people feel differently. Um, and the the introduction of the helmet, I like the helmet. Um, I mean, it was only in one scene. But, right. you know, I I, I... I like the eye patch. I, I, I like I like a uh, a beaten up battle scarred Thor. Yeah. You know, I, mean, I, I also I, like that, you know, it's it's more in keeping with, uh, you know, it's kind of like a like a, uh, a a Star Wars thing. You know, we find out that that, uh, you know, after uh, Luke gets his robotic hand, we find out that, you know, Darth Vader has a robotic hand. Hmm. History is repeating itself. Well, mm -hmm. you know, Odin's missing an eye. Now Thor is missing an eye. Yeah. You know, I like that. I It, it, it gives some depth. I agree. It gives it the, a minuscule amount of depth, right? Yeah, um, true. Because ultimately, I, I I enjoyed so much of the movie. I just felt like I think we I think we, we you put the nail on the head, um, or hit the nail on the head. You don't you don't put it. Uh, you hit the nail on the head. Uh, that ultimately the film just didn't feel like it had enough heart for me. It felt like uh, big sweeping things weren't given any appropriate time or um, space to really be acknowledged, like like the death of major characters, the destruction of Asgard. I mean, if I watched the world get destroyed, I'd probably be pretty sad about it. But ultimately, it's, you know, it's a big explosion and they make a joke and then they just move on. Um, like, your home just got destroyed. Let's go yeah, to Earth. Yeah, the place where where he was born, the place where where you know everybody he's ever known, <laughs> yeah, where his mother is buried, you know. Yeah, um, I mean, ugh. yeah, it's I I hear you. I maybe you said you were in a poor mood. Maybe give yeah. it another shot. I certainly enjoyed the film. I saw it in IMAX. It was glorious because um, certain aspect, certain action sequences of the film are. Um, are done in the IMAX ratio, which looks stupendous. Uh, I do... Oh yeah, that's a gorgeous movie. I, oh, I yeah. saw it in XD 3D, and it is a lovely film. Don't get me wrong; I mean, it's visually pleasing. I have no complaints on the action sequences. I have no complaints on on the uh, production design. My complaint is completely about about uh, story and direction. Yeah, uh, you know, the just brief. If you know the if you're a Jack Kirby fan, the sequences that are on the Grand Master's planet are just uh, a love oh, yeah. letter to Jack Kirby. Absolutely. Uh, you know, and it presented in a way that we've never really seen before. Uh, you know, yeah. it, it's it's just glorious. So um, I, I give it a thumbs up. Sounds like Aaron gives it a thumbs mostly down. I do. I give it a thumbs down. I I, I, I say that I will own the Blu-ray. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I it was not... I won't say that it was as I found more enjoyable about it than Thor: The Dark World, uh, but I do enjoy the original Thor film more. Huh. I would say this is probably my favorite of the three. Ugh. 
even with the inclusion of of the immigrant song, which I gotta tell you, like I'm not a classic oh, yeah. rock fan, but like yeah. I just it's just... well placed. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, no, and and again, you know, the the fight scenes are fantastic in this film, and I will say, you know, unlike a lot of Marvel movies, you can see all the special effects. Yeah. Um, you know, like you, you didn't have any of those, uh, you know, dark scenes where it's like, okay, what, what the hell's going on here? Um, I mean, everything is brightly lit. Yeah. Yeah. They're and that, I, a good point. Yeah. And I, and I love that. I love, I love that we're not, you know, that we're not hiding the special effects, but you know, Marvel's got real budgets, so yeah. <laughs> they can afford to do that. So well, anyway, you know, so there you go. You've got two very different opinions of Thor Ragnarok. Choose whichever one you like. Uh, choose me. I, I yeah. <laughs> Paula Ponte, I choose you. Um, <laughs> I choose you, Pikachu. <laughs> um, well, you know what? We are going to have a very Marvel-centric podcast today because we That's read a couple of Marvel legacy books. Crazy uh, time. I mean, in the, you know, so Marvel Legacy is the new, the newest reboot, um, or I guess Marvel's basic version of Rebirth um, is called Marvel Legacy. They're referring, they're re- reverting back to legacy numbering um, on a lot of their titles, things like that. And so Aaron and I both picked up Guardians of the Galaxy number 146 this week. And the reason I picked it up um, is because it is Infinity Quest Part 1. This is tying into kind of the the overarching story thread that we've been seeing as far as the Infinity Stones. And I guess the Guardians are now on the search for the Infinity Stones. And uh, as of the last issue, Ant-Man has joined the team. Um, so creative team of Jerry Dugan, artist Marcus Toe, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, 146, Infinity Quest Part 1. Aaron, what did you think? Um, I was annoyed by this book. Okay. Uh, um, and, you know, for a book that touts legacy, um, I feel like these guys had not read a previous, an earlier incarnation of the Nova books, because, you know, those three circles, those three connected circles on the uh, Nova's uh, chest. Yeah, that's rank insignia. And, you know, it's it's symbolic of Xandar, but it's also rank insignia. And everybody has, uh, clearly is the same rank in uh, in you know the Nova squadron. Uh I, I was quite irritated by that. And every time every time I saw one of those uniforms on page, it bothered me a great deal. Perhaps it's, uh, you know, now that this is because the Nova Corps was done away with in under the pages of Annihilation. Perhaps right. this is the, you know, the revitalized Nova Corps. Everyone is equal. I don't know. Just just uh, yeah. put that out there. I, I didn't care for it. Um I liked the story. I particularly liked the inclusion of Ant-Man. That's one of the things that I I I, I I have liked about guardians of the galaxy is that it's that changing, uh, roster. And, you know, every now and again, you've got, you know, just a regular old earther on the team, a regular old earther, a regular old earther superhero who doesn't really have a connection to space, but you know, you've got Scott Lang who, you know, is my favorite Ant-Man. Um, because I've been out of Marvel comics for a while, there was a revelation in this book that I was completely unaware of. I didn't know Hank Pym was dead. Yes, I, I I think that actually happened in Secret Empire. So you just missed it. Okay, uh, I saw that and I was like, "Holy crow!" Um, but you know, it's amusing to me that uh, we still have a baby Groot. How how long is that going to go on? Um, I think that is like, that is a story thread that is happening in in the Guardians. Um, at least so in this current incarnation of the Guardians, or this current volume, I should say. Um, I think it started about a year ago. Uh, they, they they established they were, they were like rocket rocket should be growing, 
but apparently someone is preventing that from happening. Mm. So I, I, I don't know if that storyline has been resolved or, I mean, clearly not because Rocket's still a baby. You mean Groot. Sorry, Groot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Groot is still a baby. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, 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 I do wonder if um, at some point we'll see him. I, I imagine we will see him full growth before um, Infinity War next year. Do you think some uh, some fertilizer or perhaps some miracle grow would help Groot? I would think so. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think he just needs more sun, sunlight and water, to be perfectly honest. Well, yeah, I mean, they're nowhere near sun, the sun. But, you know, it, it's amusing to me that uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, which has had many incarnations over the years, right? I mean, you know, it didn't used to be Star-Lord. Star-Lord used to be his own thing. It used to be, uh, you know, uh, uh, Vance... Astrovic, yeah, and Ch- yeah, and and Charlie Seven and Nikki and uh, uh, can't remember the rest of their names, but Starhawk. You know, you had all those characters, and then you know, then then the you know Abnett and Lanning incarnation. And it's amusing to me how much of Abnett and Lanning is still, you know, how much of that Abnett and Lanning mustard is still on these characters. Oh yeah. For instance, the the Ultron virus uh, is an Abnett and Lanning creation. Baby Groot is an Abnett landing creation. Um, this issue looks very much like the original storyline for the Abnett and Landing Guardians of the Galaxy, where Peter Quill assembles his team um, to function as, you know, sort of a, a, a response squad. You know, they put, puts them all in similar uniforms as they are in this one. So there is a there's a lot that's very familiar in this Guardians of the Galaxy story. Yeah. Not very true. It, I, I enjoyed the book. I didn't love this issue. Um, and, yeah, and it's interesting because Marcus Toe uh, is an artist that I, I have enjoyed his work previously when he worked for DC Comics. Um, he did art on that Red Robin book that, that we enjoyed so much if you've been listening to this podcast for, for a number of years. Uh, so I, I when I saw his name on the book, I'm like, oh, great. But the inside of the book, because every character is in a Nova Corps um, yeah. outfit... Like the characters are relatively indistinguishable, and its space is just—it's just a bunch of metal, you know, plain rooms and things like that. So there, there's nothing um, exciting about the art in this book, which is a bummer. Um, yeah, but I will—I will probably still give the next issue a shot. Uh, it features the return of Rick Ryder or Rich Ryder. Yeah, and you know, I know that they have revealed in earlier books that Rich is still alive, but this this does seem to be a good jumping on point, and that alone will bring me back to the next issue because I love me some Richard Ryder Nova. Oh yeah, absolutely. So, so I would say uh, on the fence on that one, but one book I am not on the fence about, Aaron. Uh huh. Captain America number six ninety five is probably the most enjoyment I have gotten out of a comic this year. Uh, it was an. I will tell you that it is the comic that made me feel the best about comics this year. I won't say it's the one that I enjoyed the most because we've had some really good Superman stories this year. Yeah, and we had Rebirth. Well, Rebirth was a year ago, but uh, this book was just such a return to the Captain America um, that that I want to see. Written Uh by Mark Wade, art by Chris Somney uh, and Matthew Wilson. Uh, and, And this book, you may find it corny. But it it, it it wears its heart on its sleeve. Yeah. Um, the love for this character is prevalent on every page. Yeah, and I mean, the, there is, 
it does a really good job of regrounding the character after you know Secret Empire and uh, other stories. It really does a good job of you know this is who Captain America is. In case you'd forgotten, this is who Steve Rogers is. And I, I just and and it's not subtle. <laughs> you no. know, it is very clear. And there is a beautiful panel. And I posted this yesterday on our Instagram feed where Captain says, we know what's right. The strong protect the weak. Never forget that. Um, and it, it seems to be continuing that same thread that Mark Wade had in his champions book, you know, that we don't punch down. Right. Yeah. That, uh, you know, that the, the strong protect the weak, but we don't punch down. Um, and I, I just. I think that Mark Wade uh, really has an understanding of who Captain America is, just like he has a real understanding of who Superman is. Yeah. Uh, and I really trust Mark Wade handling these types of characters because he can tell that compelling story without having to sacrifice the integrity of the character. And I feel like a lot of people, the, the way they tell their Captain America story is, we're going to reveal something really flawed about this character, yeah. right? And I'm not saying that Steve Rogers is perfect, but I am saying that Steve Rogers is probably better than most of us. And that's that's who that character is. Um, you know, there's a reason why Steve Rogers doesn't have a wife and kids, and that's because he is so giving of himself. Um, you know, he, he is always out there doing his thing. Uh, and, you know, Steve Rogers is one of those guys you'd like to see him be happy at home. You know, I don't think it's ever going to happen for Steve. No. <laughs> you know, uh, but, but I, I I dug it. And the one thing that that I mean, Chris Somney, by the way, kills these pages. I I just watch Chris Somney draw all day. I mean, oh, he's yeah. he's j particularly these these sort of uh, you know uh, corn fed characters. You know, I love seeing Chris Somney draw Superman. I love seeing watching him him draw uh, Captain America. He these are just characters that he was meant to draw. Um, I was a little surprised. They give us an origin story of Captain America at the back of the book. It's a three-page origin story, right? And it's beautifully drawn by uh, Valerio Shidi and uh, written by uh, Robbie Thompson. It's gorgeous. But Mark Wade told you all of that in the first couple of pages of this book. Yeah, yeah. And I think those are just <laughs> things that they're incorporating into every book because there were some at the back of um, Guardians, Guardians as well. well. Yeah. yeah. And not nearly as well done. No. The Guardians one was was terrible, in my opinion. Uh, this one was actually, you know, just very dynamically drawn. It's a story, you know, you, you know, the origin of Captain America. Um, I, I, the, the scene where where Cap is, uh, you know, beating the shit out of Hitler. Yeah. It's just gorgeous. Oh, yeah. just gorgeous. Um, but uh, I was just like, wow, that, that's that's uh, three pages that, you know, we didn't need to didn't need to have because Mark Wade already told you all that. And Chris Somney already drew all of that. But anyway, I, I thought this was a great issue. Great jumping on point. If you, if you have been out of Captain America for a while, or you want to give Captain America a try, this is a great place. Issue 695 of Captain America. Clearly we've got a big 700, uh, coming up for this book. Uh, I, I think it's a, it's a good time to jump, jump in. And Hey, for Marvel, not a bad price. 399. Yeah. <laughs> So well, we're, we're, we because we can't go a week without talking about a DC book, mm -hmm. we're going to go ahead and talk to you guys about this week's Batman number 34. Um, so Batman number 34 is the continuation of the rules of engagement, uh, you know, um, where Batman and you, you find out why Batman and Catwoman 
are, are where they are, you know, and, and have to deal with Talia al Ghul. Uh, before we go into the book, I do want to mention there is a uh, an alternate cover for the book that um, is drawn by, I believe, uh, Tony Daniel, who also drew this week's Batman the Devastator book, uh, that features the, the, Wonder, the Justice League characters in their movie garb. Yeah, I really like that cover. It's it's a pretty hot cover. Yeah, I, I, you know what? What my favorite part of the cover is? Even Tony Daniels like, you know what? Screw cyborg. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because there's no cyborg on this. There's, cover. there's no cyborg on this cover. I understand why there's not Superman, even though everyone knows he's in the film. They are they are taking they are taking very great care to not spoil that reveal in the trailer like they did with uh, Batman versus Superman. Uh, Do you Warner think the, that Cyborg is on the cover and that's the rubble that Batman's standing on? Gosh, I can hope. <laughs> <laughs> so t- He actually does a really good job. Wonder Woman looks a bit like Gal Gadot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it is a beautiful cover. Uh, the yeah. coloring on it, everything about it is just a, it's a very well done cover. Yeah. Um, so the inside of the book is also gorgeous. Written, um, written by Tom King, art by Joel Jones uh, and Jordi Belair. Uh, so uh, this, like I said, continues that storyline. And Aaron, regardless of the storyline, regardless of anything I felt about this book, uh, there is a, a a page between Dick Grayson and Damian Wayne. Oh, yeah. That is just perfect. Yeah. And I mean, I kind of teared up a little bit. Yeah. I mean, it is it is crazy full of heart. It's hitting that beat. You know, we established a relationship back before the new 52 between Damien and Dick Grayson, when Dick Grayson took on the cowl, you know, when he became Batman and Damien was his Robin and the two of those characters really connected and that carried over into the new 52. And we get to see that here. And it's been a while since we, since we, you know, hit that beat. It was nice to see. It was yeah. nice to see. And the way, I mean, the way it's acknowledged, you know, with Dick Grayson, he basically said, he, well, he doesn't, he says, you and me, kiddo, from the beginning and all the way to the end. Yeah. You know, that, that's beautiful. It is. It is such yeah. a well told scene, both in writing and in art. Um, you know, it, it's a, a key moment between these characters. And you forget that sometimes, you know, because they, they do yeah. have separate books and they've not teamed up in a while. Uh, but seeing that, that familial acknowledgement is just perfect. Yeah. I got to say, I really liked this book. Um, and what I really like about it is something that I'm hoping we get to see a lot more of is the uh, character interaction, you know, the, the the banter between Catwoman and Batman. Yeah. You know, these two people who are recently engaged, you know, and the way they're talking to each other. I'm getting a real kick out of that because it's a side of Batman we never get to see. And, you know, despite the fact that, you know, they're – they are, you know, in a fight for their lives against, you know, Talia, you know, the conversation is, oh, so this is the X, you know, uh, I, I really enjoyed, again, well-placed humor <laughs> yeah, <laughs> as opposed to what we got in Thor Ragnarok. Um, I, I got a, I got a huge kick out of this. I did too. I thought, I thought it was great. Um, I, I hope, you know, we talked about this a while back with my concerns about Tom King and the way he was writing Batman, but I have grown to really, and maybe he's grown to, um, yeah. you know, as a writer into this book, I, I the, 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 the familial aspect of the Bat books now, of this specific Bat book, you know, he, yeah. he's, he's incorporating all the characters and treating them like a family uh, and you're getting family drama in a Batman book. Um, that's something we didn't 
you know, didn't get a lot of under Scott Snyder. And I, I enjoyed yeah. Scott Snyder's run quite a bit, but that's not, that wasn't his strong suit. Uh, yeah. But it, it seems to be Tom King's strong suit, which I guess for those of you guys who have read the vision book probably already knew that, but for me, it's, it's new, um, yeah. you know, getting that, getting that from his writing. So enjoyed the book quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm digging it. I, I love the relationships between these characters and uh, I'm looking forward to the next issue. Yeah, me too. So, um, Paul, I know you didn't read it this week, and I'm not going to spoil anything, but uh, I will tell you that my favorite of the uh, Batman tie-in books for Metal uh-huh. uh, was this week's Batman the Devastator. Oh, okay. uh, it is, number one, beautifully drawn and has a heartbreaking story. Uh, I... I I loved this book quite a bit, and unlike some of the others, this one really takes place and moves the action forward in the overall metal storyline. So it's not just all, how did this guy get to be this guy? You get a little bit of that, and then you get a whole lot of current stuff happening right now. Yeah, um, hmm. it is. It is a really strong book, and you know, I, 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 I can. I've said this every time we talk about the metal books. I was not wild about the idea of this storyline. Uh, I was even less wild about the tie-ins. But I got to tell you, Metal, Metal's a great event book, and the tie-ins are key to the overall story. I mean, I don't know how you read Metal without buying all of these uh, spinoff books because, uh, like I said, this one really advances the story. Yeah. No, I, I, I hear you on that. And I would, um, you know, just a – since we're we're mentioning metal tie-ins, I also read Justice League number thirty-two, the Bats Out of Hell part two crossover that features. And I did, I did not even catch that that came out this week. Yeah, Paul. definitely. So I, I gotta go. I gotta go and pick I would I pick it up just for the Liam Sharp art alone. I love Liam wow. Sharp art. It, this book is beautiful to look at. Um, written by Robert Venditti. Um, you know, this is Justice League versus the the Dark Batman. Um, now that storyline will continue next week in Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps, uh, number thirty-two will be part three of bats out of hell uh another metal tie-in coming out next week is going to be batman lost um i believe this is probably you know they're doing a lot of these i think some of these tie-ins were originally unplanned but i feel like they are uh probably being done to give gray capullo more time to do these books but sure because they are still the same creative team they they are still integral to the storyline um so i don't mind them that's the thing i don't mind them because I, i would mind them if they sucked but they're all well-written, they're all well-drawn, and this Batman loss is written by Scott Snyder, James Tinian IV, and Joshua Williamson, with pencils by Jorge Jimenez, Doug Mankey, and Yannick Paquette, under a beautiful cover by Olivier Copiel. Um, and I, I think it's the story of what happened to Batman when he went into the Dark Multiverse before he got captured. Well, and if you, if, if you thought that you had enough Batman in your life already... Uh, please note that there's room for at least one more Batman book this week, and that is uh, Batman the White Knight issue two, uh, telling the story of a, a rehabilitated Joker who is going to fix Gotham. And by fixing Gotham, you got to remove Batman because he's the cause of all the problems. I've been saying this for years, Paul. <laughs> um <laughs> I got to tell you, I, w- I was on the fence about picking it up. I mean, I enjoyed issue number issue number one, but I was like, eh, do I really need this? And I picked it up this week, and no spoilers, I'll just say, yeah, I needed this, and it was awfully darn good. And if you're a Harley fan, pick it up, because there's all kinds of Harley Quinn in this book. 
You know, there was another Batman book that came out this week that I did not pick up just because the cover price was a, a bit much. Um, Batman, the Dark Prince Charming. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, I believe it's a graphic novel. Yes. Uh, but it, it, it looks beautiful. Uh, it is uh, done by a European comics master Enrique Mari- Enrico Marini. Um, it, it looks beautiful. It was a $13 book. I don't know. I, I I will consider it, but I already was reading enough, so much this week that I didn't get to read all of it, so I did not end yeah. up picking it up. Yeah, um, it's going to be on sale before long. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, well, also next week, and Batman-related, Detective Comics, The Conclusion of a Lonely Place of Living, uh, the storyline that has brought Tim Drake back from his and, imprisonment from Mr. Ops. and Yeah, and mentions of Connor Kent. Mm-hmm. Connor Kent. I, I feel like we're going to see more Connor Kent mentioned, uh, perhaps in this issue. Uh, also from DC Comics, uh, Mr. Miracle from writer Tom King and uh, yes. art by Mitch Jarrods, and the conclusion of the Oz effect in the pages of uh, Action Comics. Super exciting. Yes, it's a big, pun, big week. Pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Paul, I, you know, now you, 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 you've got this all done for the day. Now you can spend the rest of your day reading Batman comics. Because well, yeah, there's I, a lot of Batman. There's a, there's a, so much Batman. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to uh, you know continue writing my manifesto of all the things that are wrong with Thor Ragnarok. <laughs> you, you you do that. And hey, <laughs> uh, actually, before we wrap up, I do want to go out there and say, um, not go. I'm, I'm going to say it right here. I'm not going anywhere. You're not going. You're not going to step outside. I'm not going to step outside. I'm going to say it right here um, from the comfort of my office. Um, uh-huh. Talk back. On IOMGeek.com, our iTunes channel, our Facebook channel, our Facebook feed, our Twitter feed, anywhere that you can get in touch with us um, about Thor Ragnarok. We would love to hear your thoughts. You can even leave us a voicemail at the Ideology of Madness hotline. 972-763-5903. That number, once again, is 972-763-5903. And if we use your voicemail on the show, you might get murdered just like Fandral. <laughs> Or we'll send you an Ideology of Madness surprise. You never know. See, and that's how you know that even though it sounds the same every time, that is not a pre-recorded bit. That is Aaron <laughs> make sounding the exact same every time. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us, guys. We'll talk to you next week. Have a good one. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast. 